Hey, thanks for joining us here at Life Church. For more videos, messages, and content, be sure to subscribe to our channels or a great way to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go is the Life Church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps from. Right now, let's go to our senior pastor, Craig Rochelle, for this week's message. Hey, welcome today to all of our Life Church locations. I want to remind you that we have life groups starting very, very soon. You know it, you can feel it. Life is always better together. Your pastors will tell you how you can take the step to get in community in a life group. Today, we have something very, very special. In the history of Life Church, the youngest ever person to preach to all the locations was a 28-year-old, and that was me, preaching to just one location back in 1996. And this weekend, we have the youngest communicator in the history of Life Church preaching to you today. He's 24 years of age. He's been on staff for five years, including his internship. He's been married to my daughter, Mandy, for three years. And he's not preaching today because he's married to my daughter. He's preaching today because he's incredibly gifted. I'll be honest with you. I feel pressure every week speaking to so many people, and I've been doing this for almost three decades. Can you imagine what a 24-year-old feels coming in? I know you're gonna make him feel welcome. I know you're gonna make him feel loved. He's over the switch content. If you have teenagers, he's helping lead our teens to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Could you please help me? Welcome today, our team teacher, Pastor James Meehan. What if I just didn't say anything the whole time? Like how nervous in that moment did you just feel for me, right? I have been living in that for the last two weeks. Thank you, Jesus, that the weekend is finally here. Still terrifying, but it's here. So I don't have to worry about it because I'm living in it. Um, it it's funny, I had a bunch of people ask me like, hey, heard you're gonna preach on the weekend. How do you feel? So good. One person literally responded to that and they said, oh, okay. Well, we're all counting on you. <laughs> so, okay, thank you for that. Uh, seriously though, it's an honor and a privilege to get to share with you today because this church is the church that God used to change my life. This church is the church that God used to restore my family. And uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting having Pastor Craig as my father-in-law um, because sometimes family dinners feel more like performance reviews uh, don't tell him I said that because he would probably give me feedback at our next performance review. Uh, I mean, family dinner. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> um, so, so, so it's pretty cool, though, because, you know, I've been a part of Life Church for a while, and I knew that Craig and Amy were legit, right, because of all the incredible things that God is doing through this church. But my respect and admiration for them went to the next level when I met their daughter, Mandy, who is now my wife because I knew that there was no way this girl could be so sincere, so genuine, so compassionate, and love Jesus this much if she didn't have incredible parents. And it's been a privilege to get to be a part of their family for the last several years. Uh, and there is no church that I would rather be a part of than this church. And so thankful to get to share with you today. Um, the title of today's message is Questions for God. Questions for God. Specifically, have you ever had questions for God that made you question God? Maybe for you, it's questions like that that are why you unfollowed Jesus at some point. 
Maybe it's questions like that that are why you are on the edge of giving up on faith. Maybe it's questions that are big and complicated. Maybe it's questions that are small, but they're personal and they're unsettling. Questions that made you question God to the point where maybe now for you, you're not even sure if you care or if it even matters to try to figure out what to do with this whole God thing. Maybe for you, it's not that you have questions for God, but somebody you know or somebody you love has questions for God that make them question God. I think back to years ago in my family when honestly everything was falling apart. My parents were constantly fighting. My sister was drinking. She was getting into drugs. She was partying. I was getting into one fight after another, constantly suspended from school because I was just so angry all the time and I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. And all of those uh, different things just added more and more pressure on my family and on my faith until I eventually stopped having questions for God because I stopped believing in God. And I found a group of guys that were a lot like me who had grown up in a Christian home and then eventually, just like me, they had unfollowed Jesus. And I remember we would show up to school like extra early every morning. I, I don't know why we did that, but we did. And we would have these conversations about all the reasons why we don't believe in God anymore. All the reasons why we think it's crazy that some people still think it's real. It was during that time that I was introduced to different atheist thinkers like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and Christopher Hitchens. These guys who literally built their platform off of debating and dismantling Christianity. And over and over again, I became more and more convinced that God wasn't real. Here's why we're talking about this today. Because if we're honest, all of us have had questions. Questions that we didn't have answers for. Questions for God that maybe made us question God. And those questions can be really unsettling because those questions can often lead to doubts. And if you're a Christian like me, then it can be really weird when you feel doubts because you're not really sure what to do with it because it's kind of like it's a bad thing and you start to feel like I'm a bad Christian because I have doubts and you're afraid to talk to anybody about it because you don't want them to think that you're a bad Christian because if I tell them that I have doubts, then will they think that my faith is weak? Will they judge me? Will they think that I'm not a Christian anymore because I have doubts, because I have questions? So I'm just not gonna say anything to anybody. I'm just gonna stuff it down inside. And that is not healthy. <laughs> right, the reason we're talking about this is because all of us, have had questions for God that make us question God. Maybe for you, your questions are around the question of like, how could a good and loving God allow so much pain and suffering to exist, right? How could a good and loving God allow war, famine, shootings, all of these different things that are going on in the world, like how could God let that happen? Or maybe the suffering is closer and it's more personal. Maybe you're trying to figure out how a good and loving God could leave you in a situation where you find yourself picking up the pieces of the last 15 years of your life. Because the person who said that they were going to be with you forever, for better or for worse, isn't anymore. They left. And you don't know why. Maybe for you, you and your spouse were praying and praying and praying. And you felt like God finally answered that prayer because you got pregnant. And then you received the world-shattering news that you lost the pregnancy. How could a good God let that happen? You have these questions for God that you don't have answers for. 
these questions that sometimes make you question God. Maybe for you, your questions around the, the field of science, right? Because we, we read these stories, we read these articles, we watch these videos, and we, we see all these things where it seems like science is contradicting and disproving the Bible. And so, so it becomes this question of like, God, how can I believe you when all these things that people are testing, they're observing, they're experimenting, seem to be in contradiction with your word? Like, how can I trust your word? And also, there's some weird things that are in the Bible that I just don't know what to do with. Like, God, did you really say that? Like, how can I believe that you're good and you're loving if your word says that? Right, we have these questions for God that make us question God. Or maybe there's somebody that you looked up to, you respected. Maybe it's a Christian leader, a mentor, a pastor, or a friend who did something that betrayed your trust and the trust of the people that looked up to them. They got involved in some sort of a scandal where now you're, you're wondering, how can I believe in a God whose followers act like that? Or maybe it's somebody that you looked up to that you used to uh, you know, admire, but they unfollowed Jesus. They stopped believing in God. And so now you find yourself like, how can I still believe in God if they don't either? Like if they stop believing, then why should I keep believing? Like that was somebody I was learning from. What do you do with that? We have these questions for God that sometimes make us question God. And that's the world that teenagers, the next generation are living in, right? Statistically speaking, Generation Z is the first post-Christian generation in American history. There are twice as many atheists in Generation Z as there were in the previous generation, the millennial generation. Now, here's what post-Christian doesn't mean. Post-Christian does not mean that they grow up and decided, you know what, I don't wanna believe in Jesus, so I'm going to take on this you know, secular worldview. That's not what it means. Post-Christian means that young people today, teenagers, are growing up in a world where believing in God doesn't even seem like an option, right? For them, they think of believing in God like believing in Santa Claus, right? It's something that I did when I was a little kid, but now that I've grown up, I don't do that anymore. I don't need it. Right? And they, they sit there and they're looking at us and they're thinking, when are you guys going to catch up to the rest of us? When are you gonna let go of that belief? When are you gonna grow up? And the rest of the statistics for Generation Z are not good. Right? Statistically speaking, teenagers today are the most anxious, overwhelmed, isolated, depressed, stressed out, and suicidal generation in American history. That's a problem. And that is why Switch matters. Because Switch exists to help you lead your teenager, your kid, your son, and your daughter from being a bad statistic to living a better story. That is why we are doing Switch Weekend because we wanna help you lead your kids, your teenagers, to live a better and more meaningful life. Because right now the statistics are not good, but we believe that they don't have to be one more bad statistic. That we can help them learn to live a better story. But we all have questions. Questions for God that so often make us question God. Questions that create doubts that we're not sure what to do with because doubts can just be uncomfortable and they can be scary. So what I'm not about to do is answer all your questions and I can't clear up all of your doubts, right? We just, we don't have enough time and there's too many questions. And I'm, I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor for five years and I still have questions and I still have doubts. But what I wanna do with the rest of our time today is help you create a better framework to look at your questions through, to process your doubts through, so that we can figure out what is the right way to deal with questions and to deal with doubts. So what I wanna do is I wanna to look to uh, the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus's early followers. Right? He's a guy who spent three years learning from Jesus, and he wrote down his account 
of Jesus's life, his teaching, and his message that we call the Gospel of Matthew today in our Bibles. And at the end of this account, we, there's, there's a passage, it's called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is Jesus's commencement speech where he basically says, hey, like you've spent the last three years with me, now it's time to go and change the world, right? Like I'm entrusting the future of the church to you, I'm gonna go here and I need you guys to go and change the world. That is the Great Commission. And here's what Matthew writes in chapter 28, starting in verses 18 through 20. Matthew says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right, this is the commencement speech. It's graduation. Jesus is saying, hey, we spent the last three years together. Now it's time for you to go and change the world. What I love though is right before this, what Matthew tells us in verses 16 and 17. He tells us this. He says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What Matthew is telling us is that some of them worshiped and some of them doubted, right? These are the 11 disciples who have spent the last three years with Jesus, doing life with him, learning from him. They've watched Jesus perform one miracle after another. They've seen Jesus literally heal the sick, give sight to the blind, comfort and serve the lost and the broken. They've seen Jesus stand up to the corruption of the religious temple and the Roman empire. They've seen Jesus be accused, be arrested, be tortured, be crucified. And they've seen Jesus be buried in the ground. And then they saw Jesus be the first and only man in history to predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, right? These are the 11 disciples who have seen all of that. And what does Matthew tell us? He tells us that some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. Some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. So when I read this, two questions I ask. Question number one, why would Matthew write this? Because that does not make the disciples look good. Right? After everything that we just said, after everything they had seen, three years with Jesus, standing on the mountain after he came back from the dead, some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. I think Matthew wrote this because they doubted, right? It, it just doesn't make sense to make up that detail. The second question I ask is, why is this in the Bible? Because there's other letters and books and documents that were written that aren't in the Bible today, so why is this? And I think this made it in because that's something that we need to hear today. Because I think that what Matthew would want you to know is that your doubts don't disqualify you. Because your doubts, the, the doubts didn't disqualify the disciples, right? Jesus is Jesus. He conquered death. He was back from the dead. He's about to go to heaven. He knew that they had doubts. But he didn't feel like he needed to clear up the doubts before he sent them out to change the world. I think Matthew would want you to know that your doubts don't disqualify. I think he would want you to know that doubt doesn't make you a bad Christian. Doubt makes you human. <laughs> right? I think that Matthew would want you to know that the presence of doubt is not the absence of faith, but that doubt invites us into a deeper faith. I love this quote by a theologian. His name is Frederick Buchner. 
And he says this about doubts. He says that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it moving and they keep it awake, <laughs> right? I think that Matthew would want you to know that if you don't have doubts, if you don't have questions, then are you really following Jesus? Because we were following Jesus really close and we had doubts and we had questions even after everything we had seen. So if you don't have doubts, then are you really following Jesus? So what do we do with our questions and our doubts? I love this because when I read this passage, I'm comforted knowing that I'm not the only one. Because we all have questions. Questions for God that sometimes make us question God. And I think that what Matthew is helping us to learn is that our questions and doubts aren't the problem. That our questions and doubts are actually a key ingredient to a deeper faith. So what do we do with our questions And what do we do with our doubts? That's what we're going to talk about now. This is what we do. First, we bring our questions to God. Then we process our doubts with people we trust. And we follow Jesus anyway. First, we bring our questions to God. So when you have questions, what do you do? You bring them to God. Why? Because God is bigger than your questions, right? If God isn't bigger than your questions, then that thing you call God is not God. Because if you have a question that's bigger than God, that thing is not God. The problem is is so often we try to put God in a neat little box and tie a bow on it because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like we have all the answers, but God is bigger than any box we put him in. And the problem is, is over and over again, I hear stories of people who unfollow Jesus because they ran into a question that was bigger than their box. This question blew up the box and they said, okay, because the box is gone, I must not believe in God because he's not as big as this question. No, no, no. That thing you put in the box was not God. That question didn't need to blow up your faith and make you run away. That question was an invitation to recognize that the version of God you believed in wasn't really God. So reevaluate. Let your questions dive you, uh, drive you into a deeper understanding of who God really is. Uh, my wife and I, um, Mandy is her name. We've been married for uh, just over three years. And uh, two weeks before we got married, she was diagnosed with an illness that she still hasn't recovered from that has uh, left her dealing with chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and chronic anxiety that, that just hasn't gone away. And, you know, like, getting married, you're trying to learn all these things about how to do life together, how to communicate, all of these different things, and throw in with that this chronic illness that has been uh, a challenge. Because this is the person who I love most in the world, who I've said, I'm going to serve you and love you no matter what. And I want so badly to take the pain away that she's dealing with, but I just can't. And I pray every day that God would heal her, every day for three years, that God would take the pain away. And he hasn't. And so I'm left three years into this with questions for God. God, why would you let this person who I love most in the world, who I know loves you, we both, we serve you, we're doing everything we know to do. Why won't you answer our prayers? Why is my wife still dealing with this pain? Why is she still wrestling with this anxiety? 
God, I, I believe that you can. I trust that, that you will. But like, why haven't you done anything yet? We're still waiting. We have these questions for God that make us question God. But what we've committed to do is to bring our questions to God. And the thing is, is three years in, we, we still don't have answers, right? I, I don't know why my wife is sick. I don't know why God hasn't healed her. I don't know why we're still walking through this, but here's what I do know, is that God is using it in ways that we could have never even imagined. What I'm learning is that there is purpose even in pain. When it doesn't make sense to me and I don't have an answer for the questions, what I can trust is that God is doing something. Because every time I bring my questions to God, here's how he responds, with love and with power. He responds to show me that he is bigger than my questions. And he gives me a sense of peace in his presence that I can't really explain. It's a peace that doesn't make sense because of our circumstances, right? It's a joy that if you were to look at our life, you wouldn't think that the joy that we have would be possible because of the things that we're walking through. And it's a strength to keep on moving when everything in me just wants to give up. We bring our questions to God. And every time God responds with love and he responds with power. It may not be what we want or what we expect, but every time we bring our questions to God, we, are, we, sh- we see over and over again that he's bigger than our questions. So what do we do with our questions and our doubts? We bring our questions to God and we process our doubts with people we trust. I love in that story uh, where Matthew is writing about some of the disciples worshiped and some of them doubted, right? And, and it just makes me ask the question, okay, like how did he know that some of them doubted? And I highly doubt that Matthew was just sitting there looking at everybody's face and looking for the one person who looked confused. <gasps> Oh, it's Bartholomew. He's definitely doubting. <laughs> Poor Bartholomew. Wow. Right? That, that's just not what happened. Right? I think what happened is they talked about it. Because they spent three years together. They knew that they could process their doubts with each other because they trusted each other. And as human beings, right, we need people like that. People that we can process our doubts with. And if you don't have people like that, then let us help you find them. That's why I love this church so much because this is a church that you can bring your questions to, right? When I first started coming to Life Church years ago, I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. The only reason I started coming to church is because my mom said, hey, if you're gonna live in my house, you're gonna go to church. I said, yes, ma'am, because church is cheaper than rent. Come on, somebody. And that's the only reason I showed up. But I came week after week and every time I was here, I felt a love and an acceptance that just didn't make sense to me. Because there were people here who loved me even though I had questions, who accepted me even though I had doubts. This was a place that I felt like I could belong even though I don't believe. That this is a place that you can bring your questions and your doubts. This is a place where you can find people who wanna help you process your doubts. And the good news is, is that this next month we're starting a ton of life groups, which are simply groups of people who do life together. And we wanna help you find those people that you can process your doubts with. People that are gonna be there for you in the good times and the bad times. Because none of us were meant to do life alone. We were meant to do life with other people. Those disciples had their people and you need your people. And this is so important because I remember reading a study years ago about a college university that was asking college students, hey, when you started going to college, why did you stop going to church? 
when you graduated high school, why did you graduate church? And the number one reason was not that they had questions. It was not that they had doubts. The number one reason was that they had questions and doubts that they didn't feel like it was a safe place for them to talk about. They felt like their church, their faith community was not a safe place for them to ask their questions or express their doubts. This is why Switch matters. Because every single Wednesday night, your students, your kids, your teenagers will get in a Switch group where they can ask their questions and they can process their doubts. Because they're gonna be with other students their age and an adult leader that is passionate about helping you lead your kids to live more meaningful and productive lives in the context of following Jesus. Because what we know is that if we don't wrestle with our questions, if we don't process our doubts, then our faith will never grow and mature and be stronger. And so we wanna create an environment every Wednesday night for your kids, your teenagers to wrestle with their questions and process their doubts so that they can have a meaningful and deeper faith. So get your kids to switch on Wednesday nights. I am telling you, it will change the trajectory of their faith journey. So what do we do with our questions and our doubts? We bring our questions to God. We process our doubts with people we trust and we follow Jesus anyway. We follow Jesus anyway. Uh, another of Jesus's disciples, one of the guys who stood there on the mountain with the worshipers and the doubters, his name is John. And in his gospel, his account of Jesus's life and teachings. He uh, tells about this event where Jesus preached a sermon and uh, Jesus preached a sermon. It seemed like he was talking about cannibalism. And I'm not one to critique Jesus, but if you are trying to build a following, don't talk about cannibalism. Jesus tried it and people unfollowed Jesus. So if Jesus did it and it didn't work, you probably shouldn't do it. But like all, all jokes aside, there's this moment where Jesus is saying these things that these people, they just don't understand. They don't know what to do with. They have these questions that they don't have answers for. So they unfollow Jesus. And then Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he asks them this question. He says, you don't wanna to leave too, do you? And then Peter, one of his followers responds. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Because Jesus, if we're not following you, then we're gonna be following someone or something and I can't trust that person or thing to get me where I wanna go. But I can trust you because you have the words of eternal life. And I have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There are times where I am so overwhelmed by my questions and my doubts that I find myself asking the question, like, is this even worth it? Because following Jesus is hard. And there are times where I'm like, I have these questions I don't have answers for, these doubts that I don't know what to do with. Is this even worth it? And every time I have to ask the question, where else would I go? And there are honestly times where the reason I keep following Jesus is because there's not a better option because he has the words of eternal life. And I have come to believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God. Because every time I have questions and I have doubts, I keep coming back to one event, the resurrection of Jesus, that I can't find a better explanation for. Listen, if you ask atheists or theist scholars, they will agree that there are certain things that happened that happened. Like they don't even argue about it, whether they're an atheist or a theist. They all agree that Jesus lived, 
and that he died by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. They agreed that Jesus' followers believed that Jesus came back from the dead because they started telling everybody, hey, Jesus was resurrected, now come follow him. They believed that something happened that convinced his followers that Jesus really came back from the dead. They all agree that James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a believer in Jesus, right? He, he didn't follow Jesus until after Jesus' death. They all agree that he was one of the early church leaders. What would it take to convince you that your brother was the son of God, right? Like, just think about it. Here's what it would take. I've got a brother. It would literally take my brother doing this. Hey, I got a bet for you. I bet you that if I die, I'll come back from the dead. And if I do, you gotta call me Lord. But if I don't, you can have all my things. Okay, bet. What's crazy is that in our Bibles today, there's a letter from James, the brother of Jesus, where in the first line, he calls Jesus Lord. Nobody argues that Jesus, his brother James lived and he called Jesus Lord. Nobody argues that there was a guy named Saul who had some kind of radical conversion because he used to hunt and kill Christians and then something happened and he changed his name to Paul. And then he became the biggest proponent for Christianity in history. So much of the growth of the early church was because of Saul who became Paul, who used to hate Christians and then he told everybody that Jesus came back from the dead and you need to follow him. They don't argue about those data. They don't argue about that evidence. They just argue about what it means. And the thing is, is there's not a better explanation than Jesus is who he says he is, the Holy One of God. So every time I have questions, every time I have doubts, I come back to one event, the resurrection of Jesus. And I come to believe that he is who he says he is. What I love is some of them worshiped and some of them doubted but they all kept following Jesus. Of those 11, 10 were murdered for their faith. Right, at any moment, they could have said, I was just kidding. I don't actually believe in Jesus and they would have been spared, but they didn't. They went to their death proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And the 11th was exiled for the rest of his life because of his faith in Jesus. Have you ever had questions for God that made you question God? Questions that you weren't sure what to do with. Doubts that honestly, you weren't sure what to do with them. You're not alone. Some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. And that's honestly where my wife and I are right now. We have questions that we don't have answers for. Doubts that we don't always know what to do with. But we follow Jesus anyway because there isn't a better option. And I have come to believe that he is who he says he is, the Holy One of God. So what do you do with your questions and your doubts? You bring your questions to God. You process your doubts with people you trust. And you follow Jesus anyway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. That we get to come together and worship you to be reminded of who you are and everything that you've done. I pray that right now you would be working in people in ways that they're finally feeling okay to admit that they have questions, to process their doubts, that in spite of those questions and in spite of those doubts, that they will choose to follow you anyway because you have the words 
of eternal life. I know that there are some of you who would say, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have these questions for God that sometimes make me question God. And maybe today for the first time, you wanna bring those questions to God. And I believe that when you do, God will respond with love and he will respond with power, that he will show you that he is bigger than your questions. So if you're Christian and you would say that you have questions for God, would you simply lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Father God, I thank you for those people who are bringing their questions to you, maybe for the first time ever. I pray that through their bringing these questions that you would show them that you are bigger than their questions, that you would respond with love and you would respond with power. God, that they would feel your presence in a way that they never have before. And even though you may not answer all of their questions, that they would feel that you are near to them, that you would give them strength to keep moving forward and to follow Jesus anyway with their questions and with their doubts. Still in an attitude of prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. There's another group of you that are here today. And maybe for you, it's questions and doubts that are the reason you unfollow Jesus. Or maybe it's questions and doubts that are the reason that you've never followed Jesus. But today there's something inside of you that is longing for more. See, each and every one of us was created by God with and for a purpose. But here's the problem. As human beings, we've all sinned. We've made mistakes. We've done things that hurt ourselves, others in the heart of God, that have created a separation between us and God. But God loves you so much that 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death on the cross for your sins and for mine. And then on the third day, he came back from the dead, the first and only man in history to predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off. And he did it for you so that anybody who calls on the name of Jesus would be saved, that their sins would be forgiven, that they would be made new and that they would experience hope and life in ways that they could never even imagine. And that is what Jesus is inviting you to do today with your questions, with your doubts. You're wanting to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, simply lift your hand right now all across the room. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus today, simply lift your hand, hold it up so I can meet you eye to eye. I see you over here. Welcome to the family of God right over here in this section. Congratulations of you saying, Jesus, I want to follow you right over here. I see you way up there back in the back. Church online, click below me right now. If that's you and you wanna say yes to Jesus, simply lift your hand or click below me. All of us, we're gonna to pray together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I'm turning from my sins. I'm turning toward you. I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this message. We sincerely hope that you enjoyed it. You can check out life.church slash next for resources to help you take the next steps in your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Life Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe to the Switch Youth YouTube channel. Thanks again for joining us. Have a good week.